Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our scripture reading this morning is from the 16th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, verses 13 through 20. If you happen to be following along in a pew Bible, you can find that passage on page 798. Matthew 16, 13 through 20. Listen to the word of God. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Father, sanctify us in thy truth. Thy word is truth. Amen. Public schools have started back. Private schools have started back. Division I football has kicked off. Happy New Year to all of you whose lives are ruled by the academic calendar. We are back. This last Tuesday, Jonathan and John Aldrich and I went to uh, Founders Day at the School of Theology at Mercer University, the McAfee School of Theology. It's always a grand occasion. It's the first worship service of the year, and the faculty process in in their academic regalia. The president of the university comes to do welcome. Uh, all of the first-year entering students receive stoles put on their shoulders as symbols of their uh, vocation. And it's full of pomp and it's wonderful. Well, as many of you know, I had an 18-year career at McAfee before coming to be pastor here. And all I could think of during this wonderful service is how much everything had changed in 18 years, or 20-something years now. When I went... Uh, all of the new students were at uh, Founders Day. But this year, when they came up to get their stoles, a spattering of them came up. And then we had this big screen where the students from all over the place had been mailed their stoles ahead of time. They put them on themselves. There were no remote students in 1996 when I started with the school. Another difference was... In 1996, that entering class was almost all male, mostly white, primarily right out of college, 
and focused on jobs in the church. Not today. The seminarian today, and this is, this is a national trend. This isn't just at Mercer's Seminary. The students are older and more diverse and less interested in church. They're training to be counselors and chaplains and professors and steering wide of congregational ministry, which is sad to me. Fortunately, we get to snag some of the really good ones to come here. But a fun change in this year's entering class is there were students from China and South Korea and Pakistan and the Bahamas. But things are changing. When I started at the school in 1996, uh, I was barely older than the incoming students. Most of them were coming straight out of college. I was 32 years old. And I functioned kind of like the youth minister, right? No offense, but youth ministers tend to be older than the students, but not real adults. That was kind of my role. I didn't give grades. I could kind of hang out with them a little bit, become buddies. And one after one, after some trust developed, would come into my, door, into my office that first year and close the door and start to cry because of the pressure that seminary was putting on their faith. This was the realized fear of their parents and their local pastor. They'd heard the stories. I got warned before I went to seminary. Young boy won the sword drill at his home church, goes to a Baptist college, starts dating a nice Baptist girl, learns praise songs at his Baptist student union, and then he went to the seminary. And they gave him all those liberal books and they destroyed his faith. Now he's Starbucks' most educated barista. <laughs> Even got a tattoo, I heard. That's what everybody feared. And these students are in my office. And they're being challenged about what they believe, and it's disturbing to them because their faith is the most precious part of their identity. It's the center of their call to seminary, and it's being challenged by the people who are supposed to be forming them into ministers. And some couldn't take it and quit. But the ones who came to my office shaking, I always urged them to stick it out. Trust the process because this rigor is intentional and it's necessary. For instance, in some classes, the professor would assign one book by a solid conservative scholar and another book by a respected liberal scholar and just intentionally create a storm, like when a cold front and Tropical air get together, you just know a big storm's going to happen. And they do it on purpose. And then tell the student to write about it. Not a book report. Book reports are easy. Book reports say, tell me what the author said. But it gets more difficult when the professor says, now that you've read these two books with competing ideas, tell me what you believe. And why? 
I mentioned last week in my sermon my friend Lloyd Allen, who taught church history and spiritual formation for all of those years. He was one of the worst culprits. He coined a phrase at the seminary. He used to talk about the theology of mama and them. <laughs> Lloyd grew up in Cuba, Alabama. And he would ask challenging questions and then say, I'm not asking what mama and them believe. You came here with an inherited theology. You've got a quilt that's just been kind of patched together from pastors and youth ministers and parents and your hometown and your ethnic bias and your educational opportunity. Most people can navigate, he'd say. Most people can make it with an inherited theology, but not you. Because you've been called to vocational ministry. So I'm not asking what mama and them believe. I need to know what you believe and why. That's hard work. Book reports are easy. You just tell what other people believe. Jesus had taken his disciples north out of Galilee to the ancient town of Panion, later called Caesarea Philippi. It's a beautiful place at the foot of Mount Hermon. There are three peaks, three big peaks of Mount Hermon. And most of the year, about two-thirds of the year, snow still on those mountains, 9,000 feet up. But then when the snow would melt and the rains would come, it would flow down and make a river that poured into the Sea of Galilee. Beautiful place. And there Jesus asked for a report. He says, what are you hearing out there? People talk to you. What's the word on the street? Who do people say that I am? Well, that's easy. Some say you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're Elijah. In each case, they've called out the name of esteemed people in the tradition who were heralds of the coming Messiah. But see, those are book reports. What do others say? That's easy enough. Who do others say that I am? The next question that's coming is the hard one. Anyway, I would tell those students who would come into my office, crying in my office, I'd tell them, it's painful, but you have to do the work. You have to take your faith and disassemble it and lay all the pieces down on the table. And it hurts to look at. It's all a disassembled mess and it's a great loss because your faith has been so important to you. It has carried you all this way. It's brought you this far. But an inherited faith will not stand up to the storms of ministry. Only your faith will. And you've got to disassemble it and pick up each part and study it. Examine it. Ask hard questions. Do I believe this because it's gospel or because I'm a product of the South? Do, do I believe this because it's what my parents told me we believe in our church and in our house? 
Or do I believe it because I believe it really is core to the gospel? Do I believe this because some professor I respect said it in class? Or do I really believe this? You have to pick up each piece, I would tell them, and run it through this rigorous process. And some of it, you'll just discard. It it doesn't belong in there. Some of it you'll put back in, and it will be precious and owned and fought for. And some of it will remain disassembled. It will call for more reading and more prayer and more conversation. And it may end up in there, it may not. But this reassembled faith will be yours. This faith tested will no longer be afraid of being retested. You might have gotten parts of it wrong. But you won't be afraid again. And this faith that you put back together will be strong enough to handle any waves that come. So, after Jesus asked for a book report, who do others say the Son of Man is? And he hears back all that ado about Jesus being one of the great prophets, heralding the long-awaited Messiah. After he asked what others have been saying, he asked the hard question. But who do you say that I am? You've heard the teaching. You've seen the miracles. You've heard what everybody else is saying. But you have to make up your own mind. And the disciples start to ponder that. That's a heck of a question. And we're not surprised, are we, at which one of them blurts out first? It's Peter. But his name is not yet Peter. It is Simon. It is Simon who declares, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And with this declaration, Jesus uses a play on words and changes Simon's name. You are Petros, Peter, and on this Petra, rock, I will build my church. And this becomes one of the most debated lines in all the Bible. Because since about the 4th century, our Catholic friends have interpreted this verse as a basis for the Pope's lineage. They have said that Simon Peter right then became the head of the church as the first Pope, and there has been since that time an unbroken tradition as the head of the church from that day forward. Our Protestant tradition has has argued that it is Peter's faith in Jesus that is the foundation of the church. This rock, this faith is the rock on which God will start placing other stones and the church will be formed in continuity. Simon has stepped forward with his own declaration about who Jesus is. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God, and he is the first disciple to say it. And the church has been built on the accumulation of all of you 
who have declared this profession since. And Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of heaven. But this blessing that's given to Simon Peter is not a reward for getting the fill in the blank question right. It was revealed to him. But still there is Peter's ownership of what he has come to believe. Those were his words. Others said he's John the Baptist or Jeremiah or Elijah. Simon made his own differentiated statement. And it was tested against all that had been revealed to him. All of the experience he had had with Jesus. He broke from all the other voices and said for himself, I know what others say, but this is what I believe. There's an irony here. Because if we simply say that, say of Jesus that we believe he is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, we've just repeated Simon Peter. We didn't make our own declaration. If we just give the answers of our childhood, we're just offering back our inherited faith. It's when we make our own declaration of how God has been revealed in the person of Jesus that Jesus can build a church that the gates of Hades have no shot against. And that we can claim a place in the church that has the keys to loose and bind in Jesus' name. Jesus says in the 16th, uh, this story rather, is in the 16th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. The disciples have been with Jesus a long time by chapter 16. They've heard the Sermon on the Mount, the teachings on piety and prayer. They've seen him cleanse a leper, heal a centurion servant. They've seen him heal Peter's mother-in-law. He's healed the blind and the mute. He's riled up the religious establishment. He's taught in parables. They watched him feed a multitude with just a few loaves and a few fish. And the disciples have been following and watching and learning for a long time by chapter 16. But at some point you can't just follow and watch and notice and follow and watch and notice and repeat what you've heard others have been saying about Jesus. Because at some point he turns to you and asks, but who do you say that I am? And we're called to answer out loud and for ourselves. Some people have never declared who Jesus is to them and might have questions right now about the life of faith and discipleship and what does all this mean? And any minister on this staff would count it an honor to talk to you more about that. But I suppose there are far more people in here who've been following Jesus for a long time and repeating what other people have said about him for a long time. 
and never done the serious work of sorting out the wheat and the chaff for themselves. I suppose there are still many who've been in church a long time who are mouthing the inherited faith of mama in them, unreflected and untested. I know it's hard work, but it might be time to read some more difficult books, to engage some deeper conversations, to spend longer in prayer, to be bold enough to sit with a mature Christian and talk about what you might not believe anymore, to take time to speak to a child and talk about what you absolutely believe, to disassemble and reassemble. Because after Simon made his own declaration, Jesus said the keys to the kingdom are in there somewhere. There's power. Thanks be to God. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.